A China Airlines 747SP was flying over the Pacific to Los Angeles when they dropped. What caused this flight to drop several thousand feet and need to emergency land? Welcome back to the Heart Landings Podcast, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Miranda. I'm Christy. We and have... I'm Kaylin. Oh, I was going to say Sorry, Miranda. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we have... Oh, now am I talking? Yeah, yeah. sure. <laughs> I'm Kaylin. Hey! Kaylin's back. Not the other one. There's no. no James with me. No. No. This is our other Kaylin. Yes. This is not confusing at all. <laughs> it also doesn't help that they use most of the same pronouns. Yeah. We just want to confuse you. Yes. This is more femme presenting, Kaylin. It's the Kaylin motto is confuse everyone. Okay, well. Confuse all humans. Kaylin is, this is our patron, Kaylin, who yes. knows and us from high school. I was about yes. to say, you just your high school friend. classmate. Yes, long time friend. Yeah, since we graduated almost 10 years ago. God, shut up. up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's you guys. I don't have to have that crisis till we next year. did oh, graduate 10 years ago. I know. God. In May. In May. <laughs> Which is rapidly approaching. Yeah. Not as fast as our wedding. Two months. Also approaching rapidly, yes. Anyways, Kaylin being here is a clear sign that Miranda may know a thing or two about this one. Oh, here I thought it was because I've been with Christy for three days. That too. You were with me too. You're right. Yes. <laughs> You're rude. <laughs> yeah, but you weren't sitting at a table together for eight hours a day. You no, also... but I was sitting there for a good portion of the time. But you Fair also enough. weren't in my car for That's the true. drive down. That's true. You were just... There We're back. The issues. Yeah. But you can hear <laughs> the, the post episode. The post episode <laughs> problems. We'll let them talk all about that in the post episode. I, we I, do have a few patrons to thank. Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, yeah, quite you a few, that I think. In the hotel room. Yes. I forgot that conversation transpired. Well, now I'm reminding you. Nick, did oh, I tell fuck. you we got to meet two deer? I heard, yes. <laughs> and you'll hear that story in the post episode. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's got why are there so many of you? I told you. Christy means that in a nice way. Mm -hmm. Actually, in the best way possible. Thank yeah, you so really, much. Thank you. Guys. I really do mean it. Really. Thank you to our new patrons, Jesse, Jennifer, and Earl. Thanks. Earl. Thank you. I think all of them were the same tier. I have no idea. Uh, No. Oh, okay. I thought they were. Two of them are. Oh. Based on what I understand, one of them was not. <laughs> that would, yes, make three. Because <laughs> it sounded like someone needed the... Uh, Monthly thingamajig. Ah. Okay. Or was that a yes. different dude? I don't know. I don't know either. Anywho. Anywho. Uh, thank you so much, new patrons. We appreciate your patronage. We do. We very much appreciate it. If you would like to be a patron, you should go to our website and check it out. Or go to Pat Patreon and check it out. Yeah. Because there's content, and we're going to talk about our whole adventure this weekend. It was I will not. Not I weekend. Will, well, yeah, I will you weren't listen. there. Yeah, I will get to listen. My, my, my period of time was... I won't say unexciting, but you got to chill in the house with far, home cats. Far less. Um, well, and he was working at the airport. Mattress, yes. True. All right. Is there any other housekeeping? Housekeeping stuff. Oh, Paige is back. Hi, Paige. We love Hi. you, Paige. If you're editing this, we don't know yet. Uh, <laughs> but Paige is back. Paige editing. is back. Hi, Paige. We love you. We love Paige. Um, please, like, spam everywhere with Paige love. Yes. Because we found out very quickly um, how. Very much necessary pages. So. Yeah, you guys were going insane. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Paige. Insane-er. So much. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, because 
without Paige, we literally kind of fall off the rails. From the bottom, top, middle, sides, and all <laughs> of my heart, thank you. Thank the you. The aortas. The aortas and all. Yeah. The aortas and all. They took a break, and now they're back. Yes. So. It's wonderful. Okay, so I, th- I think that's it for all the announcements. Yeah, there's nothing else crazy. Check out the newsletter. This might, I think this episode comes out in well, the first week of February. See. Yes. So, so the check out the newsletter. Just came out. And you should go look at it and answer the trivia questions and interact with it because it's cool and it's made by a super cool person. Just saying. Um, since I haven't been able to listen to all the episodes since you know they aren't out yet, did you guys answer the trivia questions? Yes, we did. Yes, yes, we did. Because that hasn't happened yet on the episodes that are out. Yes, that's because it happens this week. I figured, but that's why I'm double checking mm-hmm. because I've also met you guys. Mm-hmm. That is yes, true. <laughs> There's a reason you guys are the disaster podcast. That is right. Welcome back to the disaster show. I okay. am the disaster. <laughs> Where you think we talk about disasters, but really, really we're we the are the disasters. Hurricane no less does. Exactly. <laughs> All right, what are we covering today, Nick? Today we are covering China Airlines Flight 006. Thanks to Jacob and Leo for recommending this. They're laughing because I have been made acutely aware of the fact that the way that I say today is exactly exactly the the same same every time. Other Kaylin even told us what pitches it is. Yes. Because it's the same pitches every time. Other Kaylin being a music major and a music writer has very much, uh, sorry, a composer, has been very much analyzing this. I want to say it was A and E. Figured out exactly what it is. Well, there you go. For those of y'all that are music nerds. To be fair, A and E is like a perfect fourth. Mm Mm-hmm. Todd Day. Todd Day. Todd Day. <laughs> okay, continue. Anywho, this one's going to be a wild ride. This one's going to be a trip. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was a wild ride. Uh, yeah, I noticed when you was. grabbed my arm at the bench and scared me. <laughs> that, yes. This accident occurred on February 19th of 1985, so this is nearly an anniversary episode. So oh. in episode 204, it was E to A. But in 214 and 221 and 189, it was a perfect fifth still, but it was D to G. Mm. There are exceptions, it seems, but it's such as the major seconds. I see. Okay. Those of you who don't know uh, music speak, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Made perfect sense to me, but you know. Well, that's yes. almost like you're a music teacher. Weird. <laughs> Weird. Weird. Um, How this, strange. This incident. Yes. Also happened in the uh, deadliest year of aviation, 1985. I was going to say something sure about that. <laughs> Which is actually really ironic. Or Nick and I were born. Yeah. Really ironic not to give away too much. Nobody dies. Anyways. I knew that. Yes. Because I sat next to Christy as she did her notes. This, however, being as rare as it is, is quite the thing because we get to talk about an airplane that we will, we've never talked about, nor will we ever talk about again. What? Yes. Is this his only incident? Far as I'm aware, um, most of them lived out their lives without any actual big, deadly, major accident that's really worth talking about. What is it? I bet he's about to tell us. I know. I'm trying to sagoo it. Sag- <laughs> it's a sagoo. It's a sagoo. It has had other incidents. Yes. Oh, Christy's eyes just got really big. I love using the word gunfire. Oh, yeah, that's, that's neat. Those aren't kind of the th- kind of the things that we usually talk about, though. Why not? <laughs> I'm not going to dignify that with a response. <laughs> um, in 1998, the same aircraft type suffered an engine failure shortly after takeoff. Great. Who cares? 
<laughs> Damn. Wow. I'm sorry, but those happen on a daily basis with a lot of aircraft. Short, so. sweet, and to the point there. Who cares? There's an uncontained engine failure, which okay. then damaged the number four engine and the wing. Okay. And forced an emergency landing. And then in 2004, exper- uh, another one experienced a hydraulic malfunction and made an emergency landing, but the front landing gear collapsed. Well, let's talk about all of those about today. today. Oh, no. What? Everything except the uncontained. Yeah, because Chris... But pretty darn close. <laughs> Otherwise, we get to talk about literally all three of those other issues at once. Neato. <laughs> However, it's never had a deadly accident, so... No, it has not. That's why we, we've never talked about this kind of airplane before, nor will we ever again. This, enough for the vaguing of this, was a Boeing 747-SP. Sp. Sp. Special performance. I know, you're wondering what it stands for. It's kind of... It sounds like its special performance was doing well. It's... it's It doesn't look proportional. It's not. <laughs> does, it like, does it look like a goofball? This is, I will say... So the 747 was a pretty elegant, large machine. Big hump. But this was definitely... <laughs> Is not elegant. But My this, man said that with a straight face. But this was definitely the ugliest one. Big hump. However. She's still queen of the skies. Yeah, and it's still one of the most coveted versions because it's just so unique. It is so unique. There's so few of them that have existed, and they're so rare. They're just such anomalies in time. an ugly camel. So the SP in specific was the shortest version of the 747 ever built. And you know how there are some short people that their other features just aren't proportional accordingly? I'm not looking at anyone in the room right now. She is directly avoiding making eye contact. She is staring away. Heather, what are you trying to say? (laughs) Heather's also sitting on the couch right now staring at me. I'm not looking at anybody. Christine is very pointedly looking at the scene. (laughs) Like aggressively. The 747 SP has what looks like a rather large tail. Because it is. In proportion. Yeah, proportionate to the airplane, it is very large. I will say about the the two short people in the room, their personalities are very disproportionate to their bodies. That's true. Yes. Miranda's like the loudest person I know. The f*** are you trying to say? (laughs) (laughs) I believe I've called you a (laughs) Like 15 (laughs) times in the last three days. Can confirm was there. And I said it all very uh, fondly. Yep. Can confirm. Your, was there. Your cross stitch looks like a 16-bit Shrek. Sorry. It does. <laughs> Miranda has also tried it's to fight multiple yet. people this weekend. I keep staring at it and thinking that, and I couldn't keep my mouth shut anymore. I'm sorry. I, I see why you say that. Do you need to see this? Here, show. Oh. <laughs> you're not wrong, okay? Shrek. I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, because you're not. You're it's, not wrong. It's Baby Yoda. Uh, but it's baby it's Yoda. Harry Potter baby and Yoda. It's like the cutest thing. It is, but right now all you can see is part of his face and part of his ear. Yeah, so it looks like yeah. Yoda. I'd say the alien species, but fun fact, it doesn't actually have a name. Mm-hmm. Like canonically in Star Wars, it does not have a name. Yep. I know this because I live with a Star Wars nerd who talks a lot. Fair enough. He talks a lot. He talks so much. Anywho, back to the seven four seven SP. Oh, good God. It needs a little explanation because it is a little strange. Because of the size of the aircraft, because it was shortened, and this was a very strategic thing. There was a very niche part of the market that a few airlines wanted this aircraft for, where they didn't want the capacity of a normal 747, but they wanted the efficiency, the general size, I guess you could say, and the Boeing-built airplane, specifically, 
that was capable of going a really long distance was capable of what we now know is basically ETOPS, which is the ability, basically the allowance to fly long distances from other airports. So at the time... What did they want it for if they didn't want it for the capacity? Did they want it for like cargo or what? No, they still wanted it for passengers. It was never a cargo version of this airplane. However, they wanted it, instead of being able to seat between 350 and 550 people, they wanted basically a 250 to 300 seat version, a little bit smaller, because not all markets called for that many seats, which takes up more weight and therefore more fuel. They wanted a lighter aircraft with less seats to fill in some of these markets that were long distance, very long range, i.e. crossing the Pacific. And at the time, because there were very few options for more engines to do so. Now, obviously, the market is heavily twin engine. <laughs> that has changed drastically, which has been a great thing for the industry as well as efficiency and things like that. But... Saving our poor, poor planet. But at the time, Boeing, rather than designing a whole new airplane from scratch, was like, well, we can make it shorter. <laughs> so they just, like, made it short. Like They made it short. Did they, like, cut out a... Mi- I, I'm sure they didn't, the like, directly, like, cut it. Yeah, did yeah. they, like, just, like, slice out, like, a, a cut out in the middle here? Like Basically. They, like, they cut yes. up a hot dog and pulled some middle pieces out and then squished it together? Yep, pretty much. But... One big difference had to happen for the 747SP because of the aerodynamics of it. Typically, the 747 has a flat back after the hump, obviously. It has a flat back all the way to the APU at the very far end of the tail, you know, the rear tail cone. So flat back and the tail sits on top of that. This is the exception to that. The 747SP has a big dip, a big drop at the rear of the passenger cabin and the bulkhead. Which one am I looking at? All of them. Those are all SPs. Where the tail then picks up, and it has a larger tail they than the rest. They just Yeah, they are. It has a larger tail than the rest of the 747 series because of it. All parts of the tailplane are larger than the rest of the 747 series yeah. because of it. Christy. It was, quite frankly, the ugliest version of the 747 ever, that ever existed. So, However, it was one of the most useful for multi-purpose. It is quite the interesting aircraft. Why did they decide that that was the correct solution to the problem and not like just put bigger seats on it so the whole plane was more expensive? Because people wouldn't pay that. Not Fair enough. enough. Not Fair enough. enough. Not enough people would. So they made a, a, an actually really decent airplane. The only problem was the airlines that wanted it didn't buy very many of them. So not very many of them were produced. However, they have changed hands a lot and there are still a couple flying, which is pretty cool for such an old version of the 747. But they're so unique that also parts are very rare, and if something happens to one, it's kind of SOL. Yep, that's fair. This one was specifically a 747SP-09 that just has to do with the configuration. There's nothing really crazy about it, but it was a 747SP as base. This one had the tail number November 4522 Victor, which is interesting. Why? Because this is China Airlines, and that is a U.S. registration. Yes, it is. That means it was a U.S.-based plane first, and then they bought it? It was a U.S.-based plane, period. means they didn't, they registered it in the U.S. under China Airlines. Kind of like how cruise lines register in the Bahamas? Yeah. However, this doesn't usually have any merit or purpose because it's expensive to do so compared to most places. But there are still some airlines that do this. Aeromexico, Belarus. Half of their fleet is still registered in U.S. registrations, and half of it's Mexico. Is that for... You're making it sound like it's for an unscrupulous reason. No, not necessarily, but it is a little strange. It just means that there may be a parent company that owns the airplane, and they're leasing it to 
Aeromexico and vice versa. This airplane may be leased to China Airlines. Fair enough. But is registered by a company in the United States. Because typically these foreign carriers aren't even allowed to register their aircraft on their own in a in the U.S. The only reason that it could be beneficial is theoretically only U.S. registered aircraft are allowed to perform domestic flights by regulation, which, by the way, is a law that came well before airplanes from a time just for shipping purposes and boats and whatnot. Maritime laws. Maritime. Anyways, all of that aside, this is a flight from Taipei to Los Angeles. This flight number is still used today for Taipei to Los Angeles. Yes, it is. I mean, I know. One died. He looked it up yes. in my car earlier. Yes. There is a five person crew to talk about. We'll talk about why in just a moment. It'll make sense. The captain was Min Yun Ho. He was 55 years old. At the time, he had 15,494 hours total of which 3,748 were on Boeing 747s. They didn't break it down by type. Are like, the types different the types that they should? of 747s it can because there's some variances in the 747s for sure. However, by the 1980s, there wasn't enough variance in the avionics to really count, I would say. But the performance was definitely different between the SP and, say, a 100 or a 200. Well, yeah, you said that that's why they made the SPs, because the performance was so good. Right. It was it was such a different, unique airplane. However, once you get to, like, the 300, 400, the avionics changed completely. You get rid of a flight engineer, and you're talking about a bigger, heavier airplane. The first officer was Ju Yu Chang. He was 53 years old. At the time, he had 7,734 hours total, of which 4,553 were on the 747s. The flight engineer was Kuo Pin Wei who was 55, just like the captain. And he had 15,150 hours total, of which 4,363 hours were on the 747s. Then there were two relief crew. I don't have hours for them, but of course, being a long flight during cruise portions, they had a relief captain and a relief flight engineer Yeah, that would take enough. over. And interestingly, though, it would be just a two-person crew at that time flying the aircraft, Sands a first officer. Sands. In cruise, though, because this has only happened in cruise, regulations allowing, probably this was just fine. I mean, the first officer didn't really serve a whole lot of purpose anyways. They just kind of stood there and twiddled their thumbs. Pretty much. They just make sure that nothing, Professionally. nothing strange happens and they answer any radio calls that have to be answered. That's pretty much it. Monitor things and that's about it. So there's a relief captain who is Qian Yuan Liao, who was 53 years old, just like the first officer. And then the relief flight engineer was the youngest one in the cockpit and wasn't 53 or 55, because <laughs> everybody else was, who was Shi Lung Su, was 41 years old. Wow, that's a big gap. Yes. For the flight, there were 251 passengers and 23 crew. The takeoff climb and most of the crews were normal for the flight, the key word there being most. <laughs> Because things happen very rapidly from here. They really didn't have anything to talk about before that, understandably so, because this was a quite the long flight, actually. You're talking basically a 13, 14-hour trek. And most of that has gone by without anything of note. As the aircraft neared its reporting point of redo, R-E-D-O-O. -O, <laughs> Try it again. I know. <laughs> which was about 300 nautical miles northwest of San Francisco. Things changed. They're out over the Pacific still. However, 
something occurs. Or they wouldn't be on the podcast, right? Dun dun. Dun dun dun. The flight was cruising at flight level 410 or 41,000 feet. It 41 it, dude. Easily, though, because the airplane was actually built to do that. In level flight, an estimating reaching redo at 10.13 a.m. local time, which is Pacific time. The flight was flying above an overcast cloud layer, with tops of those clouds being at 37,000 feet. The aircraft was, of course, bathed in, in the morning sun at the high altitude of 41,000 feet. Sounds like you're writing a romance novel at I this know, point. right? Everything Don't was pretty. say it, Christy. <laughs> Everything was lovely up until this point. The autopilot was engaged, and the flight had been flying at Mach 0.85, or 254 knots indicated airspeed, which is roughly 600 miles an hour. Fast. What? Yeah. Speedy. Yes. Wow. Yes. Through its cruise. The relief crew of two had been watching over the aircraft's cruise flight for about five hours before the primary captain returned to the cockpit early, earlier than expected. The rest of the primary crew returned to the cockpit a short while later, taking over from the relief crew. As the aircraft was just a short distance away from redo, they began to encounter some light, clear air turbulence. Nothing spectacular. The airplane starts bouncing around a little. Boing, 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 boing. boing. That is apt. Uh Yes. It is also at this point that breakfast is being served. Yes. Oh. Breakfast is being served to everybody. That is a pertinent detail. Pertinent detail. Sadly, yes. People ended up with orange juice on them? Uh, Probably a lot more than that. Yes. Orange juice, pancakes, syrup. Yes. Tea and coffee. Sure, someone probably had vodka. Not trying to preface too much. Breakfast screwdrivers. But there might be something happening next. The captain turned on the fastened seatbelt sign to the passengers due to the turbulence. But you should have your seatbelt on anyway. Yes, you should. And this accident, actually, this incident may or may not have been one of the big factors in that whole theory. The speed began fluctuating a bit, and the auto throttle struggled to maintain the set speed of Mach 0.85. At 10.10 a.m., which is just three minutes short of their estimated time at redo, the Mach speed increased to 0.88, and the throttles were automatically reduced to flight idle by the autothrottle. The aircraft decelerated to a speed of Mach 0.84, at which point the autothrottle then advanced the engine throttles, throttle levers. However, seemingly only engine 1, 2, and 3 advanced in thrust. Hmm. While engine 4 remained at flight idle, even though the lever had moved. Suspicious. The flight engineer, having noticed this, moved the number 4 throttle lever up and down, and didn't note any corresponding changes in the thrust and engine indications. The airplane, the right, the number four, which is the furthest right engine, the outboard right. right engine, remained at flight idle. The flight engineer then reported this to the captain and that the number four engine had flamed out, Uh-oh. is what he stated. And there was also a number four generator breaker open light on the electrical section of his panel. So the generator for the number four engine, which, you know, is how it generates electricity. It's like the alternator in your car. Right. Wasn't working. Breaker had popped. Uh-oh. How unfortunate. Uh-huh. spaghetti The captain then instructed the flight engineer to review the engine out checklist, and he began doing so. This also involved reviewing the aircraft's performance charts. The captain then directed the first officer to contact the air traffic controller to request a lower altitude in order to descend to attempt to restart the number four engine. Before receiving said clearance, the captain instructed the flight engineer to begin the engine restart procedures for the number four engine, and he did so anyways while they were still at flight level 410, 41,000 feet. The attempt, however, was unsuccessful. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah. And the airplane was slowly decelerating with the given configuration. The airplane was just losing speed, maintaining altitude somehow, and yet it was still losing speed. 
Well, that's not good. No. Won't maintain altitude long. Well, yeah, that's gravity. Mm -hmm. I think that is the greatest, the grandest understatement you've ever made. Yeah, what happens? (laughs) You met me and I was like, no, that's that's just gravity, Christy. Like, I don't know what to tell you. What happens next is... Will shock and amaze you. I hate to say this, but what happens next is truly the thing of nightmares in this flight. The attempt was unsuccessful, and the airplane was slowly decelerating with the giving configuration. The first officer had requested that the relief flight engineer assist the primary flight engineer with his responsibilities. The first officer then noticed the decreasing speed and drew the captain's attention to it. 10.14 a.m. and 11 seconds, the first officer requested a lower altitude from the air traffic controller, which at the time was the Oakland Air Route Traffic Control Center, be it that they were close enough. The flight did not inform the air traffic controller about the engine issues at the time, however. Why? Good question. I don't have an answer for you. Oh. No. The air traffic controller replied, quote, stand by, end quote, not giving them a lower altitude yet. Because, again, they don't know what's going on, correct? Right. <laughs> correct. The first officer believed that he did not receive any further response from the air traffic controller to the request at that time. Neat. However... At 10.15 a.m. in one second, which was just a little under a minute later, the air traffic controller did respond and instructed the flight to descend and maintain flight level 240, or 24,000 feet, but the flight did not respond to that. Gee, I wonder why. The air traffic controller then attempted to contact the flight six more times over the next minute and 15 seconds, but did not receive any responses from the aircraft from the flight. To address the reducing speed... The captain opted to switch the autothrottle off and adjusted the autopilot to initiate a steady descent in the hopes that the aircraft would begin gaining speed. So he turned the autothrottle off but left the throttle levers basically almost full forward. And he started using the altitude selection on the autopilot down to point the nose of the airplane down to hopefully pick up speed. But... Noting that the speed was still decreasing anyways, the captain opted to disengage the autopilot completely and fly the aircraft manually to increase the descent rate to pick up speed. The first officer noted that through all of this, all of the captain's actions here, the airplane was banking to the right. And once the captain was manually controlling the aircraft, he informed the captain of this. The captain made a left input in the controls to correct the right bank and noted a rapid roll to the left. Well, that's not great. Yeah. He saw this on his attitude indicator and thought it strange. The aircraft was now in the clouds, descending into the clouds. The aircraft rolled heavily to the left. The flight engineer then noted to the captain that all three of the other engines had somehow lost thrust. Somehow. And the flight engineer attempted to advance the throttles, again, moving them back and forth, but did not see any notable change in the thrust to the other three engines. The airplane suddenly began dropping at a very rapid rate at this point. Love that. When we say rapid rate. Oh, you'll get oh. the idea here shortly. So ready for Christy to give me the numbers and the math. I will give you some numbers when we're done with this whole wild ride here in just a second. But allow me to elaborate a little. I'm so ready for Nick to give me the numbers <laughs> and the math. <laughs> she will do the math, but I will do the numbers. I'm not doing any math. Okay, well. all are pass- the engineer. You're supposed to do that. <laughs> and on top of that, you're an accountant. Both of them. <laughs> it's okay. All passengers and crew that were not buckled lifted toward the ceiling rapidly. Um, 
I believe the phrase that was used by one of the passengers that was interviewed. Oh, this is in, why you started giggling earlier. <laughs> in the air disasters episode where people were popping up like popcorn. Yes. That is Can what, confirm. That is what they started said. giggling. Yep. Oh, I snorted. Yeah. As well as all unsecured objects, i.e. everyone's breakfast. What about the uh, the cart? Yeah. Yeah, the cart too. Went to the ceiling. Just figured I'd ask. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Um, Harkening um, back to episode whatever that is. Yes. yes. Uh, we, we are also discussing the fact that um, there's hot coffee and tea yes. on people. Yes. Yeah, and they mentioned that on the Air Disasters episode, too, that people were getting severely burned by their coffees and teas and warm things. And that's why I don't like hot drinks. They make my mouth hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Agreed. The captain pulled back hard on the control column, but the airspeed began increasing rapidly and was seemingly out of control. Hmm. The speed eventually passed VMO, which is max operating speed, also known today as VNE, or the never exceed speed. What's the, the V aircraft. for? Oh, like the speed V. Velocity. Velocity. Okay, because he's like giving these like explanations for these acronyms, and I'm like, those mm-hmm. letters don't match up yeah. at all. V Vic. V is velocity, M O being yeah, max like operating. Yeah, just like V1. I just hadn't gotten there. Yes, yet. yes. V we had a long weekend. Yes, I get it. V N E being velocity never exceed or speed never exceed. So makes more sense now when you like put all your brain cells into it. That's right. So that's not a good thing. Surpassing that speed is not a good thing ever for the airframe and the airplane, period. The crew's attitude indicators showed the aircraft tilting left and right, back and forth. The crew believed that their indicators had failed. However, they actually had no indication that they had failed because there are little flags that pop up on the indicator to say that it's not working. That makes sense. When it's not working. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm guessing there were no flags. They did not note any flags. No. It is also alleged that the... Alleged. Yes. You will understand why I use that phraseology later. That the flight engineer reported out loud that the ADIs have failed. Yes. The captain had claimed that his wasn't working early on. The flight engineer then claimed that they all failed. And run me by ADIs again. Attitude indicator, basically. Thank it's you. It's a little... Yeah. The artificial the, horizon. Right. It's doing spinny whoops, and they're like, that don't look right. Yeah. We're not but that is right, right? It runs on a gyro. Well, we'll discuss it later, but it We're runs on a gyro. screwing through the sky. What's going on here? It runs on a gyro. And the gyro all screwed up? So they thought maybe something was wrong with the system that drives the gyros, yada, yada, yada. The negative Gs then switched to heavy positive Gs, reaching about five Gs Ew. of constant pressure on everyone. Ew. No. No. Uh, uh, the same the same passenger, yes. who, by the way, is described as traveling with his good friend. Oh, this is the one you were talking about. The one where I was like, oh my God, are they roommates? Yeah. That's what I thought. And then they started clutching each other saying, I love you, man. And I'm like, <laughs> oh yeah, that's when you scared me at the booth. Because you grabbed my arm and you're just like, I love you, man. And I was like, Christy, what are you doing? Bromates. <laughs> yeah, so he said he looked across the aisle and the... Um, Asian guy across from him resembled a melting wax figure in a museum because his face was so contorted from the G's. Oh, he was ew, turned, ew. He explained hey, that, was that not he was not on my bingo sheet of things to hear today. <laughs> he explained that he was turned to the side, like his head was turned to the side, and his head, his face was then like it, like seemingly melting to the side toward the floor. So we're talking like Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty hefty G's. Nope. You want to talk about movies that gave me nightmares as a child. That scene. Anyways. 
Which is funny because it doesn't hold up at all now. No. <laughs> <laughs> but as a like six-year-old, yeah, it's yeah. spooky. Yeah. The G's were so great that crew had a hard time lifting their arms and heads to reach different controls. Oh, no. They the f- can't even, like, be enjoying the roller coaster. The flight engineer couldn't reach the... <laughs> That's the yeah. worst kind of roller coaster. Just, yeah. He's giving me a look of absolute horror. The flight engineer couldn't even reach, like, the throttle controls... He stated that his arms were pressed so hard against the pedestal in front of him. Yeah, he was he completely pinned to the pedestal. He couldn't lift That's his arms. Great. His face was pinned to the pedestal. Yeah. That Pretty sounds uncomfortable. All of that said, the captain then felt that he began to regain control, but felt that the airplane was still banking hard back and forth as he attempted to correct this, all the while continuing to pull back on the controls. So they were managing, you know, those heavy Gs or the airplane coming back nose up to wings level. So he felt that he started to get the airplane back under control, level off, but the airplane was still tilting back and forth, seemingly. Well, that's not helpful. Mm -mm. The captain then noted that the airspeed was decreasing rapidly again, eventually reaching a speed between 80 and 100 knots. I feel like that's a pretty big uh, difference. Yeah, that's That's also uh, a stall speed. That is quite slow. That is way too slow for this airplane. At which point, he began lowering the nose of the aircraft. Because he's smart enough. Yeah, because you need to start pointing down to gain some speed. The airplane pitched over, once again experiencing negative Gs. It began accelerating rapidly again. Yes, Christy. Nothing. Okay. The aircraft once again exceeded its max operating speed. The captain and first officer both pulled back on the control column, and the aircraft went back into heavy positive Gs as it pitched back up, and the speed began decelerating again. As the aircraft continued to pitch back nose up, it suddenly broke out of the bottom of the clouds at about 11,000 feet. Mind you, they used to be at 41,000 feet. Yes. Yeah, that's a lot of distance. Yes. How long did that take? <laughs> we'll talk about it in a minute. And the captain noted that he could now see the horizon, so he lowered the nose smoothly, and the speed began accelerating through 180 knots. With the horizon in sight and some heavy control inputs, the captain was able to finally stabilize the aircraft at 9,500 feet. The first officer then noted that his attitude indicator appeared to be working again. The flight engineer noticed that as the aircraft was at about 10,000 feet, still as when it was in its descent, that the number one, two, and three engines seemed to come back online. Hmm. They were picking up thrust again. The number four engine, however, remained at, at idle or not working, basically. Flamed out. Yeah, flamed out. Dun dun. The flight engineer then placed the number four engine ignition switch in the ground start position, at which time the engine started again. Yay! The engine start procedures were then followed per the checklist normally. He closed the breaker for the number four generator, and it finally came back online. So they also got the power back. That's good. Electrical power back from the number four engine. 10.17 a.m. in three seconds, with the aircraft now back in stabilized flight, having fallen 31, just a little over 31,000 feet in less than two minutes. Gross. The flight crew finally contacted the air traffic controller. <laughs> and here's oh, hold the on. kicker. They were trying to talk to them that entire time? Yeah, you're they right. They were pressed against their jokes. They Which couldn't. I don't, I don't blame them. However, I don't love what comes next. Oh, no. Rather than stating what happened and stating their concern... All they said to the air traffic controller was to report that they had experienced a flameout emergency and that they were at nine or thousand feet. Which, that's as an air traffic controller, I would be like, You're weren't you where? at like 40? <laughs> <laughs> I'd be a little bit like, What just happened? Excuse me, can you repeat that? They However, also saw on their radar as their altitude. 
plummeted. Hence, they were trying to contact them over and over and over again. However, because the flight crew didn't report anything about this and the air traffic controller didn't question it, this didn't become a point. I feel like this is like they got like they have a bullet wound in their side and then they're like, but I got a paper cut on my finger. Yeah. yeah. And then they get, to, much. They, they get to the ER and they're like, my oh, by God. The way. They're literally mentioning the fact that they had a flame out emergency, even though that engine is now back online, negating the fact that they just fell 31,000 feet through the sky in two minutes. Priorities. Yeah. So the air traffic controller is like, would you like to declare an emergency? We'll talk about that. <laughs> We'll talk about that. We're not there yet, actually. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> they then requested vectors to return to their course, and the air traffic controller gave them vectors to head back on course to Los Angeles, not questioning anything, which just seems a little strange to me. This was when again? 85? 1985. Yes. Deadliest year in aviation history. Yes. Commercial aviation. This t- At this point, the air traffic controller did request if they wanted to declare an emergency. Still not questioning anything, just asking if they wanted to declare an emergency. Initially, the flight did not declare an emergency. However, Why? at 10.18 a.m. and 42 seconds, the flight requested clearance to climb again, and the air traffic controller instructed the flight to climb and maintain flight level 200 or 20,000 feet. They began climbing. 10.19 a.m. and 17 seconds, the flight told the air traffic control that, quote, we can control the aircraft, end quote. Which is a little confusing, but they were just telling him, like, we well, got it. Because they never said anything about the fact that they couldn't. Right. Air traffic control asked if they could. Right. Okay. I don't know if that was mentioned in the history of flight, but it was in the air disasters episode, which we know is all always um, the uh, most reliable. Accurate. Speaking of, um, if y'all watch the air disasters episode, the plane they depict is not a 747 SP. No. Which is funny because Christy never mentioned that. But the second we got here, Nick was like, oh, my God, they messed this up so bad. For anybody that likes the 747, though, this is really this really irked me because the 747 SP is so unique. It's so different than the other versions of the 747. Like all the other ones are kind of generally similar. The fuselage is structured basically the same. This one is truly unique. It has a completely different tailplane. It has a lump at the rear. It's very short, very it's different not performance. The yeah. It's a little, it's just a strange thing. I don't know. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> the air traffic controller then asked if the air, if the flight wanted to divert to San Francisco, and they stated, quote, conditions normal now. Oh, my God. And they would be continuing to Los Angeles. The air traffic controller then cleared the flight to climb to flight level 350, or 35,000 feet, and the flight crew acknowledged. Just as the aircraft began to climb again toward, you know, 35,000 feet, the flight engineer began assessing all of his instruments on his panel, trying to get his, you know, thoughts collected. His literal bearings. Assess, yes, assess the situation. At which time, he noticed that the landing gear was extended and locked in place. What? Hold on, what? For why? He also noticed that the number one hydraulic system fluid gauge was empty, which controls the landing gear. They ran out of blinker fluid? Yeah, <laughs> they ran out of landing gear fluid. Okay, I- I'm going to be honest with you. I've been half paying attention because mm-hmm. I'm sure I've watched this Air Disasters episode, mm-hmm. but now I'm confused. So let's, let's, let's rewind. Dial it back. Yes. Dial it back. So hit clear turbulence, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Fourth engine flames out. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then... All hell breaks loose. All hell breaks loose. Dive. Dive. And they came out of cloud. Dive up, dive, dive up. up. Dive. Uh, <laughs> kind of. And then level out. Level out. And the landing gear's down. Well, they don't notice that until they're back in a climb, a yeah, controlled no, first, climb. First, they're like, yeah, ATC, we had a burnout, but nothing yeah. else is going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, ATC's yeah. like, But for some reason, we're also at 9,000 okay. feet, and we need to climb again. Uh, and then, and then, and then, gear's down. 
no hydraulics. Gears down, no no in number one, one system. No number one hydraulic. Correct. And what does that does that just go to that specific no, landing it, gear? No, it controls a few different systems. However, okay. there are backups obviously in the other systems, but it does yes. affect the main landing gear. Okay. The main gear. Yeah. Uh, so. I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you shouldn't try to climb with your landing gear. Yeah, no, down. they figured that one out. Yeah. And actually, they figured it out just in time. Due to this, the captain opted to level off at flight level 270, or 27,000 feet. The max altitude of the air, that the aircraft is allowed to operate with landing gear extended is 29,000 feet. Oh, so just 2,000 feet short of that. make a good decision. One of the only times that the 747SP has probably ever flown that high with the landing gear extended, other than in testing. It is also worth mentioning that in the cabin, everyone has shut up. Yes. No one is saying Silent, anything. of course, because they're all in shock about everything that just got thrown around, including Are themselves. Are we dead? And what happened? I feel alive. Oh, there was mention in the episode, of course, that people urinated on themselves. It, that's fair. I, like I would have myself. Yep. 100%. 100%. I'm pretty sure the G's would force you to yourself. Everyone should have been wearing their brown pants. They were now. <laughs> now? <laughs> Does that mean that there's poop everywhere in the cabin? Probably. Don't know, but probably. Do we have a Delta <laughs> Airlines situation? At the very least, there's probably the other direction. Throw up? Yeah. Yeah, a lot of vomit everywhere. Oh, boy. I mean, you think about fighter pilots. Uh, you have to go oh, through yeah. training, uh-huh. and a lot of them end up getting sick. Oh, yeah. Well, and all, trained, all and they the celebrities hit, that go up with them, they're like, I'm not going to And they don't up. hit five Gs. They hit, what, three Gs? Oh, uh, uh, but the celebrities, they... Eventually, yeah. Uh, I think... They put them up to nine Gs, which is rough. Yeah. Nine Gs is a full G turn. That's what they call a full G turn, because that's about as much as your body can handle without actually passing out, even in a G suit. Emily Calandrelli is a female engineer, American, I believe, and she went up... And vomited at seven G's. Yeah. Rightfully so. She was one of those. She's like, I'm not going to throw up. She did. She was wrong. I can tell you from having experienced about three G's that that is enough for me. I'm good. I don't ever want to know what nine's like. If I was ever given the opportunity, I think I would probably pass. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, maybe I would just to say that I've done it, but honestly, I know I would throw up at that point. I don't get, like, motion sickness or anything, but that is rough. Oh, that's a good point. I I hadn't even considered motion sickness into this. I get motion sick when I'm driving sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Okay, well then. So don't take Caitlin. Caitlin? Caitlin. Not Caitlin. Also Caitlin. She gets super motion sick. She gets super motion sick. Yeah. I just get minorly when I'm driving, and most of the time it's only if we're in the mountains. Mm-hmm. And Caitlin failed to uh, remember or know that Venice is a... To be fair, I knew about her motion sickness and fear of boats because of that, and I didn't even think about it. I didn't think twice about going Nick. to the one place on the planet where that is, like, how you get everywhere. Nick, boats. Be better. I know. I'm just kidding. Get good. You're fantastic. To be oh. fair, she was like, yeah, let's go. And then she was like... She didn't know. Uh, I was like, how did you not know? Anyway. She's a baby. But she didn't know about Venice and okay. having the boats. But I feel like you talk about Venice like in high school at some point and how it's literally, it's on water. Yeah, it's only if you're paying attention. <laughs> I don't know. Also, Heather, what if on the off chance going up to 9Gs is what cures your fibromyalgia? Jesus. I don't think that's how that works. Plot twist, that's how fibromyalgia is cured. We've just never tested it. Because people just pass out. Put you in a fighter jet and rocket you to 9Gs. We just gotta get you a hard reset. 
Okay, we got off track. Continue. Yeah. Just a smidge. The flight crew then calculated the fuel consumption with the gear down, trying to decide whether or not they will make it. Long story on that one. But ultimately, at that time, the captain finally opted to divert to San Francisco, given the circumstances. Good job. And it turned out that that didn't really have much to do with the fuel. But I can see why you'd think you'd offer maybe too much drag, so you're like, eh, maybe it'll affect. Right. Too much drag, slower speed, lower altitude. Mm, yeah. A lot of things, a lot of factors there that could play into not making it. Cool spoilers. So, like, doesn't leave you much margin should you miss that landing. So, that's why they were like, yeah, we're close enough to San Francisco. Let's just go there. The first officer contacted the air traffic controller, informed them that they would that they were intending now to divert. Ten thirty-five a.m. and thirty-four seconds. So, quite some time later, actually, after they had initially started climbing, the air traffic controller cleared the flight to fly to San Francisco via Point Reyes, California, and to maintain flight level 270 or 27,000 feet. The flight crew worked with the cabin crew and assessed damage and injuries. Several injuries were reported at that time. I'm guessing they were burns. Primarily actually just uh, hitting things. Concussions. Yeah, pretty severe ones. The, the, the best friends. Yes. They had a guy behind them who was bleeding from his head. Yes. Because he hit the overhead compartment. Yes. Hey, fun fact, guys. Don't hit overhead compartments. Hey, fun yeah. fact, guys. Put on your seatbelts. Yes. You Did you just censor yourself? Yes. yes. If not, it would have been bleeped anyways. Yeah, but now the bleep is just a space. Yep. It'll get deleted. Yep. 10.38 a.m. and 39 seconds. The flight declared an emergency. The air traffic controller. Got time. Stating that there were injuries on board. What? Nowadays, like, dropping, like, 5,000 feet very rapidly is enough to, like... We're coming in for landing, please. Pretty sure it should have been enough here. However, they had not decided that until that point. <laughs> 10.38 a.m. and 54 seconds, the air traffic controller cleared the flight to fly direct to San Francisco and descend at the pilot's discretion. So, well, I don't trust the pilot's discretion at this point. <laughs> pilots be making silly Fair. decisions. Well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. Fair. We'll talk about that, yeah. The rest of the descent to San Francisco was made with the autopilot engaged and was seemingly normal until it was disengaged at 2,500 feet on final approach to runway 28 left at San Francisco. Flaps and the rest of the landing gear had to be extended manually with, you know, like pumping action or drop, gravity drop. Yeah. Yeah, because the stuff was gone. Yep. It is Hydraulic as- fluid? That's what yeah. I said. <laughs> stuff. <laughs> they did this as per the checklist procedures with the failed systems. The landing was actually normal and successful. The captain then steered the aircraft off of the runway onto a taxiway. However, due to the hydraulic failure, steering was very difficult, so they opted to stop there, shut down the engines on the taxiway, and then be towed into the gate. Yeah, it's very similar to, like, if your car doesn't have power steering fluid. Yeah. yeah. My imagine that. Once. Yeah, imagine if that. If you've but ever bigger. done that, <laughs> yeah. it is horrifying. Yeah, yeah, my minivan was out of power steering. Yeah. Yeah. I got real strong. Yep, yep, sure do. Once on the gate, paramedics met the aircraft. 24 people were injured, including two seriously, one passenger and one crew. The flight crew left the aircraft shaken up and went out onto the ramp to begin examining the aircraft. What you were going to say they went out and just puked. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Probably. Probably. <laughs> Mostly from the shock. Yeah. But what they found was uh, shocking. It will shock you. The left outboard aileron was cracked along the trailing edge, and the upper panel of the aileron was broken. They couldn't see that much, but they could see the crack. The landing gear doors had been torn from the aircraft completely. Well, that's not good. That was part of why they had fallen. Yeah, I mean, 
if if the gear was down and they were going yeah. that fast, I'm not surprised. Yeah, they were just um off. Yeah. Gone. Gone. The APU had separated from its mounts and caused damage to the compartment housing it, including punctures to the tail cone and a dent in the fire bulkhead, not the pressure bulkhead, though. The pressure bulkhead was in, it was in good shape, but the fire bulkhead between the pressure bulkhead and the APU was dented because the APU had literally just free-floated and punctured through the tail cone. That's horrifying. Yes. A large portion of the left horizontal stabilizer, worst of all, was separated from the oh. aircraft and gone. Yep. Leaving large, has a picture. large tangled wreckage I'm surprised behind. they were even able to land properly They didn't it. note anything really strange about the controls. That's weird. Well, they were kind of being dumb. This was about a 10 to 11 foot section on the left side, starting at the tip of the stabilizer inward. That was likely hit by the landing gear door. So these, yeah, so these... 747s actually have two elevators on both horizontal stabilizers, the left and the right. So there's two of them, and the furthest one on the left side was just gone completely. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. Meanwhile, the right side stabilizer was in similar shape, but had only lost about five to six feet of damage. Only. The left side, where they had lost one whole entire elevator and had caused so much frickin' tangled up damage, that's where the number one hydraulic line had severed and was leaking. It was in... Good shape, actually, on the right side. Good However, shape. the left side was uh, gone. I honestly am surprised they didn't find issues with the controls, with how um, much of the horizontal stabilizer yes. was gone. The air disasters episode depicted that they did and used thrust to descend. Yes, they did note some differences, so they were using thrust to descend. However, nothing really particular of note, not enough for them to call it out to air traffic control or anything. Yeah, well, they weren't really calling out much of anything. How were they? No, they were not. Um, They're like, oh, yeah, we had a flea mount. Well, we'll and talk all about that. The, the passengers that were interviewed reported that this was the smoothest landing they've ever experienced. Which is so weird to me. Yes. Had they flown before? <laughs> <laughs> was that a question that was uh, asked? Some of them had quite a few times, actually. But the whole thing with that is that it was actually seen that the flight crew had... Saved them. I mean, they they felt that they ultimately had saved their lives. They got the aircraft back into stable flight. This is the only... And managed to land a very crippled airplane. There are not many circumstances under which uh, applause is acceptable upon landing. Yeah, but this might be one of them, for sure. Yeah, if the, you normally do it, you're poo on you. You're a little okay? strange. Yeah, you're a little strange. <laughs> but, like, I if you went through like, something, like, real hard like this... Yeah. Yes, I yeah. would clap. Where it actually is a matter of survival, yeah. Okay. Credit where credit is due. Yeah, but a normal flight, okay, yeah. It, you, trust me, you're fine. Like, it's not like you survived something crazy. Like, Unless you ask Austin. <laughs> yeah, he's weird, though. It, Austin claps on every flight. <laughs> actually, he probably does not. He's probably just like, I'm so glad this is done. Yeah, weirdo. Anyways, <laughs> this ultimately, I mean, yes, they were seen as having saved the aircraft, so they were seen as Hailed heroes. as heroes. Hailed as heroes at the time, which... Not entirely untrue. However. Christy making it sound like this was on purpose. I'd call this one about a 50-50. Oh, that's generous. That's not good. What they managed to pull off with such a crippled airplane. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but. But why was the airplane not crippled? Right. Words are hard. Needless to say, putting the airplane through that many G's. Do you talk about the rivet thing? Uh oh, the, the rivet what? thing. The rivet thing that was my. Oh, I thought in you the said episode. the Reddit thing. That's what I and heard. I was like, you might know. Why that are we using Reddit as a source? Most of those, most of that damage, needless to say, was likely caused because of G's. Yeah. So, Jeez. uh, passengers reported hearing the sounds of rivets popping 
And they it, they said it sounded like the sound of gunfire hitting the side of the airplane. Oh, nice. As they That's popped neat. free from their joints. So I guess gunfire was going to come up in this episode anyway. I guess. But that's alarming because that means that the airframe is literally trying to rip itself apart. Which it's not supposed to due do. Due to G's. Well, that I mean, usually has to do with exceeding your max operating speed. Hey, guess what? They may or may not have done that once or twice. Gravity. This was more than gravity. This was speed. <laughs> is that all you got? Serious speed. That is. This it. was intense gravity. <laughs> yeah. Super gravity. Spicy gravity. Spicy gravity. Oh, dear God. We have spicy air and now we have spicy gravity. Yes, we sure do. Christy was saying spicy air has a new name. Oh, yeah. They they reported that the, the, the initial turbulence was stiff winds. Stiff winds. That's some spicy air. Spicy air. This investigation was performed by the NTSB. Can you tell I listened to every episode of this? Yes. As both the state of manufacture and as the sort of location of incident. Yes. It's where they ended up. It's where they landed. The, 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 what is it called? I forgot to look it up. Cool. Other people helped. The Japanese. <laughs> they outsourced. Why would the Japanese the help? The Taiwanese and the Chinese. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I forgot this originated in China. It originated in Taipei. In Par- Taiwan. In Taiwan. Not sorry. Parties to the investigation were the Federal Aviation Administration, the Boeing Commercial Airplane Company, the Pratt & Whitney Division of the United Technologies Corporation, the Chinese Civil Aeronautics Administration, They had f- and China Airlines. I would also like to apologize at this point in history. Um, we are on episode 224, and I just realized that all participants of investigations are listed in appendices. <laughs> Not every appendice has it. I've looked. Not every appendice has it. I feel real dumb. It's been Christy, years. You're very smart. Don't feel dumb. I feel a little dumb. Don't feel you dumb. You smart. <clears throat> you smart. Don't feel dumb. I'm going to call you dumb. Thanks. <laughs> Someone had to. Okay. Wow. You called me a for most of the weekend. <laughs> Again, can confirm. Fondly. Was there. Both black boxes were recovered and sent to NTSB headquarters in Washington, D.C. for analysis. However. However. Because there's always a however with this a... anymore. However. The CBR was only designed to record 30 minutes before overriding itself. Did they forget to turn it off? You're not supposed to turn it off it uh, until you get on the ground. It. Which yeah, means no, they didn't hear didn't anything know. that was yeah. going on nope. during the descent. Nope. Not a thing. Nope. Nope. Stupid 80s. They had to go with crew statements instead. The FDR did produce data. Yay, but. However. However. <laughs> due to the extreme Gs and vibrations experienced by the FDR, there were some gaps in the data. Of course there were. This is yeah, what happens when you use tape, tape recorders. Yeah, yeah. It was tape. This is why we don't use tape recorders anymore. Be glad anymore. you had anything yeah, I'm sure at that's all. that's the exclusive reason. It was not designed to undergo that many Gs or that much vibration. Some it of- should be, if you ask me. Well, then maybe now. I don't know. I'm not the expert. Some of the missing data was reconstructed by the investigators, but they were still like, that's still a little sus. It was a little sus. Sounds like some like beginning of a thriller movie. Look, we went over the Bermuda Triangle and we almost crashed. What's going on? Turns out there's a giant kraken or something. <laughs> sure, we'll go with that. So investigators interviewed the passengers and the crew to get an initial idea of what transpired during the flight. From this, they garnered that there was a failure of the number four engine after experiencing some turbulence, and then a roll to the right began until the crew lost control of the aircraft and plunged. During the loss of control and subsequent dive, the flight crew reported experiencing failure of their ADIs and later failures in all the remaining engines. As such, investigators organized their analysis into two parts. Did it have to do with the pitot tubes? No. I'm just using... Pitot. Pitot. (laughs) 
into two parts, the engine failure and how it happened, and then the loss of control. Right. Investigators tested all the engines and found that they all worked. Wait, what? Yep. Wait, wait. They all worked. Wait, nothing wait, was wrong wait, with them. Wait, 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 And wait. other than a little minor uh, amount. Da, 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 da. Okay. <laughs> I'll leave it to you. Shut up. But, 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 but the number fourth four. engine. You're correct. But the fourth engine. Was so, fine. So, yeah. What? What? Hold on. Yeah. Okay. So, I feel so lied that to. was it an indicator error then? No. No. Then it how? Wasn't. But okay. Put the pata 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 pata. A bird or something? That's pretty high for a bird. <laughs> That's really high for. That would be way too high for a bird. <laughs> hey, the bird could have just been real high. <laughs> You're funny. I think I am. <laughs> but don't don't really don't don't. Do. <laughs> Spoiler alert! No, that didn't happen. Is it really a spoiler if it didn't happen? <laughs> okay. I don't know. You've created a theory now that I feel like I have to justify negating. <laughs> so, also, <laughs> the cracking over the Bermuda Triangle. Also, <laughs> didn't happen since we were also over the Pacific and near California. Both of you assume I know geography. <laughs> Nowhere near Bermuda in the Atlantic. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Christy. I'm not. <laughs> so investigators tested all the engines and they all worked. None of them needed to re- be replaced. I, I don't feel understand. I I feel like you're lying. I don't know. <laughs> so the data showed that fake the news. Data showed that the en- engine number four was a little slow to spool up compared to the other engines. Specifically, the fuel flow above idle was about 200 pounds per hour leaner than expected. That's not that much. Not with an airplane like this. No. I'm gonna trust you because those numbers meant nothing to me. Planes burn a lot of fuel. I guess I have no context on thousands of pounds per hour. The fact that it was a little low by 200 pounds per hour, not that big of a deal. But it was a problem child during the flight, so investigators tore it apart to figure out what was wrong with it. The found wear on the throttle valve trimmer knife edge and the mating groove of the multiplier lever was 0.004 inches. What's it supposed to be? That doesn't sound like any. That's like a not a lot. That's like not a lot. That's like not a lot. It's four thousandths of an inch. Yeah. yeah, that's like not a lot. That's hardly anything. What's it supposed to be? Um, they actually didn't cite what it's supposed to be, but it was within use tolerance. But also, I couldn't tell you what any one of those parts actually. No, are. it doesn't really matter. The point is, this wear was the main contributor to the change in the fuel control schedule. Schedule. It's such a weird word to use in context like this, but it does matter. It means that Engine 4 wasn't getting technically as much fuel in the time allotted as it was expected to. Okay. So it was just slightly underfueled? Yeah. But that alone did not cause this. Yeah. It couldn't have. As the engines accelerated before the incident, engines 1, 2, and 3 reached a spool-up acceleration such that the bleed air controllers, bleed air meaning air conditioning air for the cabin. Right. So it means it bleeds air out of the normal system into the air conditioning system. So the bleed air controllers for engines 1, 2, and 3 shut off the high-stage bleed air valves. For engines one through three. Because engine four didn't accelerate as quickly, its bleed air controller did not do that, and that engine became almost completely responsible for all of the air in the cabin, in a phenomenon known as bleed air hogging. In a phenomenon known as bad. Yeah. This required a higher fuel flow to continue accelerating, which was restricted by the existing reduced fuel control schedule. As such, engine four failed to accelerate and became what is known as hung. That is the term. Oh, okay. At 1.0 engine pressure ratio or EPR. Which is basically idle. Basically idle. 
that's helpful. It stuck it out. It ain't moving. Because one thing's pulling it one direction, one other thing's pulling it in another direction. The flight engineer said he noticed this and pulled the throttle for engine four back to idle and then pushed the throttle forward again to basically, you know, like reset the engine. But that didn't solve the problem. Dun dun. Why? There's a checklist for doing such a thing. And yes, he didn't is. follow the checklist. And it includes <clears throat> shutting off the bleed air valve. And he didn't do that. How'd you guess? Because he being a dummy. Because he's just like, I'll fix it real quick. Hold on. That's why he <laughs> on this podcast. They didn't say, he was like, oh, it's just not working. Didn't work. Okay, so I'm just going to skip the next two sentences. Because that's exactly what happened. <laughs> he just was like, checklist? I don't need no stinking What's checklist. checklist. I don't need no checklist. Oh, no. So the flight engineer perceived this as the engine flaming out when it was, in fact, just hung. It was just When sitting. he was just being dumb. It was just sitting at idle the whole time. It wasn't actually off. In the next 20-ish seconds, the flight data recorder... 20-ish seconds. I didn't do the math. I was sitting in your truck. I remember. You couldn't see the screen because it was covered in fingerprints. Yeah. So the next 20-ish seconds, the FDR recorded the EPR dropping down to 0.7. And based on the fact that the flight engineer did not report cutting off the engine, investigators deemed this as when the engine actually did flame out. And was moving towards windmilling RPMs. In response to the reported flamed out engine, the captain asked the flight engineer to try reigniting the engine. In so doing, a vital step was missed. Oh no. We haven't talked about, you know, like reigniting an engine in a while, but doing so requires <clears throat> oxygen. Air. Crazy. It has to have it. You know Air what fuel not... mixture has to happen. You know, combustion, because that's like one of the important steps in making a fire is it has to have fuel. Yeah. You know, you know what's not at 41,000 feet? Air. Air. Because it's thin. So the engine reignition checklist calls for a descent to 30,000 feet before attempting reignition. Which they were not at. And they didn't no. do. So the engine didn't relight. They didn't do yet or on purpose. <laughs> Sorry. Men. No offense. Around the time of entering the unusual attitude. That's one way to put it. <laughs> it was put in heavy quotes. Still works. If you couldn't hear the heavy quotes, I don't know what I can do for you. The flight engineer reported that the other three engines had lost thrust. He increased the throttles, but he reported the engines as not responding. Based on FDR data, that may have been what he perceived, but it wasn't. That was not the case. Acceleration fuel schedules, otherwise known as how quickly fuel is delivered to the engines, is based on the total air temperature outside. Guess what? It's It's cold. It's cold. You mean when you get high in the sky, it gets cold? And things don't move as fast when things are cold. And there's no air? I'm learning so much about the atmosphere today. (laughs) Good. Up that, that high, joke. up that high, it is much colder than, you know, sea level, um, which results in a lower acceleration fuel flow available and therefore a lower acceleration rate. His perception of the situation may have also been influenced by the fact that he was um, pinned to the control panel. Yeah. Just maybe. That doesn't help. Yeah. So he is like, they're not working when really they're like, help me, I'll get there eventually. Yeah. That's exactly, how the engine That's exactly Pretty how much. an engine sounds. <laughs> totally. By the way, if an engine could talk. <laughs> it would sound like a dying old lady. <laughs> the FDR provided plenty of evidence that the three engines had not, in fact, flamed out. And this was further supported by, one, the cabin stayed pressurized. That makes sense. The masks yeah, they didn't never drop. lost pressure yeah, at any point Yeah, they never in time. lost pressure. Which is pretty impressive. It really Honestly, is. Yeah. It super is, Considering actually. Considering the APU was just flying around willy-nilly back there, you know? It could have been real bad. That's crazy. Two, <laughs> the generators for the three engines continued operating. They never lost power. Yep, electrical power was constantly there. Okay. That should have dawned on, I don't know, Yeah, somebody someone. like, hey, 
if the engines aren't working, how, how can we see yeah. everything? Why still? are all the electrical still Why working? Why is everything still working? Yeah. Three. It's obviously a fluke. Three, the engine low oil pressure warning lights did not illuminate. To be fair, they were not really focused entirely on this problem. No, but I mean, there's plenty of different things throughout the event that are like, hey, what? Okay. I don't know where we left off, but we had to take an emergency pause. So, all right. Um. Quote, while there can be little doubt that the loss of thrust on the number four engine was the precipitating factor of the accident sequence, the loss of one engine, albeit an outboard engine, during high-altitude cruise should not cause an experienced flight crew to lose control of their airplane. Yeah. No, duh. No. Indeed, the airline operating manual does not even classify this mishap as an emergency procedure. Not at all. Therefore... Therefore, the safety board directed its attention to the reasons why the flight crew was unable to maintain control of the airplane after the loss of thrust on the number four engine, end quote. Yeah, why'd they lose their minds? So why did such an experienced crew lose control? Investigators started with the first officer. Was it the Bermuda Triangle? Hi. (laughs) Oh my God, no. The first officer who performed duties properly as assigned and otherwise and was not found at fault for any of the events that transpired. Okay, good. Wonderful. First officer, not first officer's fault. Uh you might have noticed that I didn't talk about the first officer very much because the first officer really didn't have much to do with anything. Nope, because they were doing their job. <laughs> yep. Kind of, although we'll talk about CRM later. Instead, focus was directed towards the flight engineer and the captain. There yeah! Are, there are several factors which contributed to their degraded performance on the incident flight. The flight engineer's performance through the flight showed correct actions, but also some that deviated from checklist procedures or showed a deficiency in analyzing and interpreting the instruments. The facts showed that the flight engineer didn't review the procedure for this malfunction before trying to restore engine four. The manual states that this may be a recall or memory checklist, but if that was the case, he recalled it incorrectly. Yep. As he did not close the bleed air valve. Nope. Mistake one. Mistake two was the assessment that the other three engines had flamed out, and there were several factors involved with this misdiagnosis. After the upset... Those. That is one very light way to put it. Yep. Those three engines had been reduced to flight idle, but it was not the flight engineer who had done it. As such, when he saw that the EPRs on these engines had decreased from their cruise thrust of 1.5 EPR and nearly matched engine 4, it made sense that in the moment he would assess them as flamed out. But he should have realized they hadn't lost electrical power. And that must mean that they hadn't flamed out. Investigators acknowledged that it would have been difficult for the flight engineer to check the generator panel as it was to the right and behind him, and that his face was smashed into the console. Yeah, that might have something to do with it. Ouch. Yeah. Maybe. For the most part, his actions were timely and correct other than these two items. These deviations could be attributable to one or both of the following. Lack of knowledge of the airplane systems and procedures and the traumatic effect of the upset and subsequent descent. No! <laughs> wow, Nick's gonna have to get beeped. I know. That was, I mean, I just. How can you expect humans to perform under any kind of circumstances? When they just had their squished. Their squished face. Their, <laughs> their, their, their face squished. Face and hands and body squished against things, and then rapidly also flying toward the ceiling. Yeah, that too. I okay. know they were in their, like, seats with buckles and everything, but that doesn't make anything easy when you're also being pulled toward the ceiling. So the rest of my lengthy notes are about the captain. Mm -hmm. In the event of abnormal flight conditions, the airline's policy and manual dictated that the captain was to assume control and direct the other crew members on what actions were needed. Good job. That happened. 
Yay. Okay. Yay. Interviews from the captain and flight engineer showed that the captain was totally cognizant of the engine situation and appeared to focus almost exclusively on the decreasing airspeed and disengaged the autopilot to lower the nose and recover airspeed. His interview showed that he was apparently not aware of the magnitude of the right wing down attitude. Clearly. What investigators point out as one of the causal factors was how long it took the captain to do just that disengage the autopilot and take control of the aircraft. Mm-hmm. The number four engine flamed out at 10, 12, and 42 seconds, but the FDR didn't show the autopilot disengaging until 10, 14, and 50 seconds, more than two minutes later. Jeez. The total three-minute and 40-second period of deceleration was under autopilot conditions, so the captain was unaware of how much work the autopilot was having to do to maintain level flight. Investigators poo-poo this and say that he should have placed himself in a hands-on relationship with the airplane. That sounds really bad. Hi, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which would have increased his awareness of the asymmetrical forces being exerted and correctly assessed the literal gravity of the situation. The only tools at his disposal in such a situation where he did not have a hands-on relationship. Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> the fact... is <laughs> freaking losing it. Where his instruments. This is bringing me joy. <laughs> Way more than it should. So let's talk about those instruments. In the beginning of the <clears throat> situation... From 10, 11, and 9 seconds to 10, 14, the heading changed almost imperceptibly. And the attitude director indicator, or ADI, showed a wings level or very slight left wing down bank. So the most concerning instrument was the airspeed indicator, which concerned the captain greatly. As it should have. But that also came to be the only thing he focused on, despite a worsening control situation. He may or may not have gotten some form of continuation bias. This coupled with the lack of hands-on-ness... Of the situation. Of the, situa- of the situation were my next words. <laughs> Led the captain to become disoriented. Miranda's so done with me right now. Whatever. <laughs> because the captain entered the control loop so late in the situation, he was presented with having to fight to maintain the same control the autopilot had, and in so doing was confused by the situation and was unable to take the necessary action to correct the situation, and in fact probably aggravated it until they popped out of the clouds at 11,000 feet. The first officer was also disoriented because he was, like, not part of the control loop at all. For the same reasons. So unfortunately, yes, the whole falling through the sky thing was disorientation, which was human factors and therefore human-caused. It had nothing to do with the airplane. No. Well, good on the airplane for working. We'll talk about that in the second half. Yes. The captain's training and manual recommended to disengage autopilot at the emergence of abnormal conditions. That didn't happen. Yeah, I was wondering why they never engaged the autopilot. You mean disengage the autopilot? Oh, was it engaged the whole time? Yeah. He he kept it engaged for quite a long time. Yes. More than he should have. And then he didn't know how bad the situation was because he was relying on the autopilot. And then he was like, why isn't this working? As soon as it disengaged, that's when things started to roll out of control. Do you talk about the ADI at that point? So... I didn't find a good way to... That's okay. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it here. The whole the whole thing is, as soon as he disengaged the autopilot and realized that they were banking hard to the right, he put a left input. The ADI then flipped hard the other side. Him not realizing because he was disoriented, thought that his ADI failed. And was wrong. Was wrong. Then they began spiraling down out of the sky, nose first. Hey, guess what? So they thought that all of them thought that their ADIs had failed. To do that, 
it's what they were doing. Oh, they were spiraling out of control. Yeah, that's what I said earlier. I'm like, they were just actually spiraling out of the sky. So when they thought their ADIs were coming back, actually, they were just actually getting back to wings level. (laughs) And when the engines came back online, that's because they were at a lower altitude with more warm air. And so the engines engines actually performed properly because they could combust and, and start again. So it didn't have anything to do with the airplane failures. There weren't any other than the number four, which actually was a controllable issue. But So another level as to why not using autopilot sooner was a whole issue is actually revealed by what the proper action was. When presented with this asymmetry, it would be correct and proper to use left rudder to counteract the roll and maintain straight and level flight. It appears that the captain relied on the autopilot to do that. You know what the autopilot can't control? Stupidity. <laughs> it can't... <laughs> Wow. He's your Heather. Heather just said your mom. It also can't control those. But no, the rudder. It can't control the rudder, which is the correct thing to do. Which on this airplane is massive. Yeah. The captain was very experienced with multi-engine aircraft and with the 747 in particular. He would have known how the loss of thrust from an outboard engine would affect controllability. He also should have known that the autopilot doesn't have authority over the rudder. And that counteracting the... Thrust lost with only the ailerons and spoilers would cause a side slip, increase drag, and aggravate the airspeed decrease. Well, yeah, everyone knows that. He should have known all of that. Yeah, because I don't. At the very least, he who was flying should know all of this. He also should have seen the right roll on the ADI. Why didn't he seem like the experienced pilot he was? That's because he wasn't, was he? He was. You bet to tell me things were lying. Investigators looked into the captain's state of mind. Oh, no. First off. The captain had five hours of rest during the flight and reported having slept two of those hours. Okay, so he really shouldn't have been flying. That's part one. He was an EP boy. Now investigators cited an at-the-time recent study by the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, also known as NASA, yep. on the effects of circadian desynchronosis on flight crew performance and efficiency. That's a big word. Or rather, they would have if the results had been released at the time of the report. Because they weren't yet. As such, they believed it premature to formulate any recommendations which address the effects of circadian desynchronosis on flight crew performance, and as such, they did not recommend anything in this report. You done messed up, A.A. Ron. We'll talk about that in the second half as well. The section literally says none. none. I know. You showed me while we were going 75 on the high. Yeah, the highway. recommendation section. I've never seen a recommendation section posted that just says none. Neither had Christy because she said, well, that's new, and then made me look at it while I was driving 75 yeah. on the highway. <laughs> but we're in 2024 now, so we're going to discuss what has been found from that and similar studies over the years. For one, although alluded to, investigators did not directly cite the fatigue experienced by the captain and assumedly the rest of the crew. According to the air disasters episode, in the six days leading up to the accident, the captain had crossed 18 time zones. Sheesh. And the captain allegedly mentions that, you know, you never really sleep well on an airplane. Which, while true... For some people, what I understand is someone does. Is also not a great thing, though. Yeah, I sleep okay on them. These two together... I was looking at Christy. The the time zones and the not sleeping well on the plane create what is known as circadian desynchronosis, mm-hmm. which is more commonly known today as jet lag. That's a yeah. catchier name for it. Turns out. And in um, factor two, the upset occurred at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Okay, so what? Well, that's 2 a.m. Taiwanese time, which is where the crew is based, making it so that the upset occurred during their window of circadian low, low which we have talked about numerous times before. Something they didn't officially have a, have a name for. Nope, know. but I'm talking about it now. 
Yes. And so did the Air Disasters episode. Because now we have words. But they also didn't call it that. I'm calling it here and now. It's yes. the window of circadian low, which is uh, when between the hours of 2 a.m. and 6 a.m. is when most people are in deep sleep and brain function and performance in this time frame is markedly decreased. Unless there's a door slamming in the hotel hallway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> also, yes. So... Personally, I think that fatigue from circadian rhythm is most attributable to the decreased performance of the crew, at least the captain and flight engineer. Makes sense to me. The other fatigue that was mentioned in the report is that resulting from monotony and boredom. When you're doing nothing going somewhere, but you just, uh, there's nothing happening. When you're flying at cruise flight, especially over the ocean, on autopilot, all you're doing is scanning the instruments over and over and over again. That's why they have trivia <coughs> questions on the side of long highways. You want to talk about a way to get forced ADHD, though. Investigators state that this causes a form of mental fatigue. I feel that. Mm-hmm. That can lead to complacency and degraded function and performance. I feel that. So, multiple forms of fatigue. Welcome fatigue. back to the Fatigue Podcast. Yes. I made that shirt. Yes. So, yeah. So, plugging the merch store, if you guys want to buy anything, I'd sign one of those shirts. Yeah. It says, welcome back to the Fatigue Podcast. Oh this is true. Okay, well, that's all I've got. Great. I think that was enough. Yes. We're 90 minutes in. Uh-huh. I almost think we should have put yours in the second half, because yeah. the second half ain't going to be 20 minutes. Okay, well, let's get a move on. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay, we're back. Now that I'm refreshed <laughs> after 90 minutes of stuff because that first quote-unquote half <laughs> heavy quotes hefty i don't know maybe we should still split that up are you gonna say this was a sh this is gonna be a short episode guys <laughs> no I, didn't, I wasn't gonna say that we didn't i wasn't say gonna it. say that at all however we have next to nothing to do in this half hey the second half it's gonna be real short guys yeah yeah it is by that i mean of course we've already talked about there's no recommendations so literally there... the word none and a period yes Quite that length. So there are a whole 11 findings, and they are all quite short. So I am going to read them verbatim. The first one feels a little useless, though. I would like to mention ahead of time that none of the findings, nor the cause, mention anything about fatigue. Nope. Oh. Crew fatigue. Because they were like, hey, the, 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 the NASA people. The NASA people. The NASA people. Are still doing the thing. The so astronauts. So we don't really feel comfortable talking about it. So we're just not gonna. And I'm sitting here thinking y'all maybe should have put out like a, a supplementary report. Oh, that's why you were screaming they should have done a new report. Yes. Report. Yes, English is my first and only language. How could yes. you tell? Yes. But yes, that is why I said that. Because I'm like, this was... Goofy. Really pertinent. Yes. And glossed over. Which is a problem. Yes. We did learn a lot of things, though, and they did change a lot of things in the industry, obviously. Let's do some findings. They found that the flight crew was properly certificated and qualified. Are you sure? Yes. I bet the plane was in working order, too. The crew was actually fine, other than being super tired. Well, eepy boy. You say that, and then they, were they made so many bad decisions. Because they were eepies. <laughs> they were eepies. Getting 15,000 some odd 
hours of experience means you've done a really good job at knowing your job. But when you get tired, anything can happen. You're not wrong. They found that the changing airspeeds encountered by Flight 006 and the resultant compensating throttle adjustments were caused by wind speed variations, i.e. turbulence? Spicy air. Spicy Spi- air. That spicy, spicy air. They found that the number four engine did not flame out, but quote-unquote hung at about one EPR. Get your head out of the gutter. I didn't say anything out loud. <laughs> I wasn't talking to you. Oh, out loud. Well, normally it is. I was talking to the audience at large. Oh. Normally, it's me. They found that during his attempt to recover the number four engine, the flight engineer did not close the bleed air valve switch before advancing the number four throttle. In other words, what he did was very ineffective. Checklist? It light, just light, didn't work. Light this thing he didn't work. use a checklist. Light this thing on fire without oxygen. Good the one luck. thing that bothers me here is how they just don't mention CRM, which is a new concept at the time, but also a ish. thing. It's a new-ish <laughs> concept. Okay, so here's, here's my half-hearted defense for them. The year is 1985. Yeah, which is a bad year. They were a little preoccupied. This is not the first time that's happened. Where they're like, okay, listen, no one died in this one. So uh, let's... We're going half Yeah. Not full half We're getting a three-quarter Yeah. Well, I mean, there's... They, they got... Well, one of the sections said none. Yeah. Yes. So three-quarters is an accurate assessment because there are four sections and they left out one of them. So they three-quarter I realize all of that had to be bleeped. I still strongly feel that CRM is important anyway. Yeah, well. And that they lacked it completely. That would have been in the recommendations. But there were none. Right. They found that the other three engines did not lose thrust, nor did they flame out. Congrats. I feel like they could have elaborated on that a little bit further. Way to do your bare minimum. Yes. They were working. They are concise. Yes. Straight I meant to the much engines. more so than they are now. Well, I'm now talking they, about the engines. Now they're the way they write findings is a little bothersome to me. Have you listened to them write anything? Oh my is god, it a little verbose now. The, yes, and they, they, and they debate, argue about the verbiage of every single. They finding. debate the meanings of the filler words. They Which, debated you during. Clearly, never played a role playing game. <laughs> That is how everything in a role-playing game is written. I so understand. You can like read them, and they mean exactly what they say. Yes, which I get. We have had full-fledged like 10, 20-minute conversations about it at my house. The we backing up. Miranda and I listened to the board deliberate over the probable cause of the Kobe Bryant crash, which we covered in episode something something. Uh huh. Insert number here. I don't know. <laughs> And they deliberated dead for like 20 minutes over where to put the word, I think it was maybe. I don't remember. Well, yeah, the word maybe, depending on where it goes in a sentence. Or might. I think it was might. Same thing. It might. Hold on. I'm going to look this up. Yeah, because that can make it mean different things. Like D&D spells are so precisely written that they tell you everything you need to know in the thing. Yes. But that's why we'll like argue them for like 20 minutes to be like, no, this clearly says this. And someone will be like, but no, it's worded like this. That means it means this. And I do agree with that. But I still feel that the oh. findings are overdone. Likely. Likely. That's right. The problem cause of this accident was the pilot's decision to continue flight individual, which resulted in the pilot's spatial disorientation and loss of control. Contributing to the accident was the pilot's likely self-induced pressure, and the pilot's planned continuation bias, which adversely affected his decision-making and island expression, blah, blah, blah. Likely. They argued over that. That sounds right, though. Conversely, this probable cause 
is much shorter. Yes. yes. Anyways. They found that the captain did not disengage the autopilot in a timely manner after thrust was lost in the number four engine. The autopilot effectively masked the approaching onset of loss of control of the airplane. They found that the captain was distracted from his flight monitoring duties by his participation with the flight engineer in the evaluation of the number four engine's malfunction. Is that what we're calling it? Yeah, I don't like the way that was worded. That, to me, is continuation bias via lack of CRM. I mean, that's CRM, CRM, CRM. CRM, CRM, CRM. That stands for Crew Resource Management. In case you've missed it. if you would like to look at the merch page. Yes. And if you don't know what Crew Resource Management is, please go listen to episode one. One. And two, and three, and four. Yes, but literally you just need to listen to one. But if you haven't listened to episode one and you're here... You're kind of goofy. You're just kind, like you're kind of Miranda. Miranda. You bounce around in podcasts. Okay, so <laughs> you're kind of goofy. <laughs> you're offended. So what? <laughs> Leave me alone. No, no. Yes. Okay. I see why you have to turn her down all the time. They found that with the exception of the loss of thrust in the number four engine, no other airplane malfunctions affected the performance of the airplane. The loss of thrust in the number four engine did not contribute to the accident. Distinctly did not. Just stupid people. Yep. Autopilot no, stupid can't de- help that. Stupid decisions. I know. Stupid decisions. Autopilot. By very experienced that. people who yes. are just fatigued. Yes. Even though it won't say that. Yes. Autopilot won't help you get sleep. They found that the captain was also distracted by his attempts to arrest the airplane's decreasing airspeed, and this also contributed to his failure to detect the airplane's increasing bank angle. My ADI is wrong because I haven't been paying attention to it. I've been no. paying attention to the out, the airspeed, which, you know, matters, but if you were paying attention to your attitude, you'd realize why your airspeed mattered. Pay attention to your attitude. Mm-hmm. Pay attention to everything. Fly the airplane. Do your job. Mm-hmm. I found that the lateral control deflections required to maintain level flight under conditions of thrust asymmetry and decreasing airspeed exceeded the limits of the autopilot's lateral control authority, causing the airplane to roll and yaw to the right. The captain lost control of the airplane when, after disengaging the autopilot, he failed to make the proper flight control corrections to recover the airplane. And I know you're thinking to yourself, but he put a left control input. He never touched the the left rudder. rudder. Bro. If he had touched the rudder, the airplane could have been in stabilized flight from the get-go. Bro. However, there was a distinct lack of understanding amongst flight crews on 747s of what the autopilot does and does not control, and they did not understand that it did not control the rudder, and therefore yaw. So when he disconnected the autopilot and was using the roll inputs to correct things and not using the rudder, that's because it didn't occur to him that that could have contributed to stabilizing the airplane. He didn't know that the rudder wasn't being used in the first place by the autopilot. Also, I would like to point out that fatigue is just as dangerous in cars as it is in planes. If not more so. That can be as dangerous as drinking. Yes. So please, drive responsibly. Yep, that's right. Last finding. They found that the damage to the airplane was a result of the acceleration forces and high airspeeds that occurred during the upset and recovery maneuvers. We will talk further about the status of the aircraft and the damage to it after we do the probable cause, since there is no recommendations. So the probable cause, as verbatim, 
as per the NTSB, is... The National Transportation Safety Board determines that the probable cause of this accident was the captain's preoccupation with an in-flight malfunction and his failure to monitor properly the airplane's flight instruments, which resulted in his losing control of the airplane. Contributing to the accident was the captain's over-reliance on the autopilot after the loss of thrust on the number four engine. If you were to rewrite this today, I do feel heavily the same as you, where it would say that the captain's fatigue resulted in poor decision-making. In degradation of performance and brain function. Yeah. My man had a brain fart because he was EB. (laughs) I would like you to submit that revision to the NTSB. Oh, boy. (laughs) I'm sorry. We're very slap happy. So... The flight number still exists, still on the same route, although there was a short period of time where China Airlines did not use this flight number for the route. They used 008 instead. However, then it came back and is used today. But the aircraft, they actually found that the engines had no damage apart from the fan blades, of course, had, because of G-forces, created rub marks on the outer casing around the fan blades, which was actually still found to be within tolerance of the manufacturer's tolerance for rub. So the engines were actually cleared. They were fine. They were good. But obviously there was some other major damage to the aircraft. It had to be seriously looked over for the overstress because rivets were popping off. The control surfaces, the control surfaces were heavily, heavily damaged, including the elevators, which were ripped, torn, shredded apart. Missing. Gone, yes. The landing gear doors were gone. They also found they that... They hath-yeated themselves? Yes. Called Liam Neeson. They were taken. Oh, my God. They also found that parts of the landing gear, part of why they dropped in the first place, wasn't just the hydraulic failure, but actually because pieces of the linkages that hold it upright, just gone. Just sheared from the airplane because of force, because the wheel, the the landing gear just weighed so much. The wheels were heavy. The landing gear was heavy. Therefore, it just broke apart the pins that hold it in place. Well, that's not how that's supposed to work. No. Turns out. So that was a problem, too. All of that said, this aircraft continues to exist today and was actually returned to service, of all things. Christy is shook. Shooketh. 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 I will read this portion from the Wikipedia page because it is worth mentioning. After repairs, were, this is directly from the Wikipedia page. Don't come for me. I know. Best of sources. I hate quoting it, but I will. After repairs were made to the the plane, it returned to flight status on April 25th, 1985. It continued in service for nearly 12 years until it was leased to China Airlines' sister company, Mandarin Airlines, in January 1997, and was in daily service for the remainder of of that year before it was withdrawn from service and placed in a boneyard in Nevada. In 2002, the aircraft was acquired by Indian evangelist and humanitarian K.A. Paul and dubbed the, quote, Global Peace One, end quote. Beginning in February 2004, the aircraft was used to deliver disaster aid to countries such as Ethiopia, India, Iran, and Jordan. However, by July 2005, the FAA had revoked Global Peace Ambassador's operating certificate due to poor maintenance of the aircraft, effectively grounding it at Thunder Bay International Airport in Ontario, Canada. In December 2005, a ferry permit was issued, and November 4522 Victor was flown to Tijuana International Airport, where the aircraft remained parked as of 2020, with the possibility of it being scrapped. And actually, I think if you look, it's still there. 
think I saw somebody post a picture of it actually recently. Yeah, I think you were talking to Christy about that the other day. And it's still sitting in Tijuana. Okay. As a whole 747SP. It's too bad that it's not flying, but it is there and whole. And they are pretty needed for parts, to be honest. But it still exists, which is wild to me. So it's kind of a double-edged sword story because the crew saved the airplane from the situation that they put it in because of fatigue. So do you count them as heroes or, you know, the problem? But also, it was still ultimately good piloting that allowed the aircraft to land safely, be used again, and everybody got out. That's a plus. Also a caveat to this, the there were two serious injuries. And this isn't negating that they were, because they both were, don't get me wrong. But it was stated in the report, actually, that one of the serious injuries... Let me see if I can find this section, because this was interesting. I assumed they were both related to burns. No. Or concussions. Also no, actually. Hmm. I think one of them was, but the other one... And I wish I could find this, because... I can probably find it. Oh, no, I I know where it is. Hold on. (laughs) This is worth reading. Both injuries were classified as serious in accordance with Section 49 CFR 830.2 of the Safety Board's rules, which defines a serious injury as any injury which, one, requires hospitalization for more than 48 hours, commencing within seven days from the date the injury was received, and two, results in a fracture of any bone except simple fractures of finger, toes, and nose. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And... One of the injuries. One crew. That. One cabin crew member received an acute back strain. Oh. Maybe from yeah. being slammed against the ceiling. Correct. Weird. Yeah. On February 19th, he was admitted to the hospital and was hospitalized for more than 48 hours. The passenger received lacerations and bone fractures on his right foot. Both of which were actually, they were in the hospital for over 48 hours, which was the whole reason that they were able to be classified as serious injuries. Even though. Both injuries were actually fully recoverable. Yes. That is why this is still pretty remarkable. I cannot begin to quantify the trauma. Oh, yeah. The mental trauma from this is horrifying. It's like when we covered that, was it Japan Airlines, that the um, cart went through the ceiling? Yes. Yeah. Very similar. Yes. Except that was due to clear air turbulence. Yes. And this this had to do with... The fact that the pilots were... I thought that one what? I thought that one was avoiding a mid-air collision. EP boys. No, it was clear air turbulence. Don't ask me. I'm bad at this. I'm like 99.9% sure. Hey, look, an airplane. Yes, it was narrowly avoided a mid-air collision. Drink cart in the ceiling. Airplane. There it is on Google Maps. There's the airplane that suffered this. There is indeed an airplane on the screen. And it looks disproportionate. In- it is. It does. It quite is. Big old wings, short body, fat body, narrow butt. (laughs) Fat body, narrow butt. Look! He's not wrong. He posting about other girls, Christy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's China Airlines Flight 6. Yes. There you go. You remember the number? I only remember because it was a simple number. Yes, it was six. Yeah, I don't even zero zero six. Okay, I don't even remember Nick saying it. So (laughs) I sure did. Hey, guess what? You are fatigued. Oh, I know. It's because your dog gets very startled at noises in the hallway in hotels. 
If you want to hear more about that, you should be a patron and listen to the post episode. That's right. Give uh, them money so they can keep doing cool things. Right. Give us all the money. Um, or don't. It's up to you. Uh, or just thanks. listen to their shenanigans I mean, continuously. Yeah. We, we love you either way. We do have a lot of shenanigans. Please be aware that we are very sorry for the amount of editing that had to happen in this episode. <laughs> we are so sorry to either The blooper reel Nick. is probably fantastic from this. So it better be. Be Which, a patron and listen to the blooper reel. By the reel. way, if you don't listen to the blooper reels and you're a patron, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? They're so funny. I forget funny. they exist. They I have Taylor. never listened to one. They're My God. So funny. I have only ever listened to one post episode, and it was because we were driving back from Utah, and my aunt wanted to listen to me talking with my friends. <laughs> okay, well, if she wants to listen again. <laughs> yeah. So that. Yeah. Uh, so thanks for listening. Thank you for attending our session. Our uh, our TED Talk about career resource management. And how we have none. <laughs> Fatigue. Fatigue. Of which we have plenty. <laughs> We hope you have a safe and healthy week, and we'll catch you all next week. Keep your speed up! Please like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hard Landings Podcast and on Twitter at Hard Landings Pod. Subscribe and leave a five-star review on the platform you are using to listen. If you would like to see photos and sources for this episode, please visit us at hardlandingspodcast.com, where you can also leave us feedback and ask questions. This episode was researched and written by Nick and Christy and edited by the lovely Paige. Our theme song was written by Miranda and performed by all three of us, plus Leo. And our logo is by Naomi. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.